Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Good morning. I feel like y'all have aged. I know, it's a, it's, a, it's a dad joke Sunday, right? You've aged about a year, I think. Hey, uh, before, before we begin, I, I said last week that uh, um, this week I have the privilege to share with you um, the announcement of, of what you have pulled together as the body of Christ uh, to raise funds for Mozambique. If, if you've forgotten or if you're your first time here today, uh, our Christmas challenge over the month of December uh, was to partner with our district. We belong on a district, the Nazarene District. It goes all the way to Toledo, down to Tip City, to Mount Sterling over near Columbus, all the way to Union City that's on the border of Indiana and Ohio. And uh, we learned uh, over the course of the summer about Mozambique and how the Nazarene Church in Mozambique is the fastest growing um, area in Africa uh, of Nazarenes, and not only Nazarenes, but Christians. Um, there is a revival that's happening in northern Mozambique and, and, in fact, all of the country. So several years ago, uh, our district had impacted Malawi and sent students in Malawi who were called to be pastors to, to be trained. And those students just graduated this, this December, and they are being sent to Mozambique because there's about 1,500 pastors who have no education, no study or no uh, uh, skills in doctrine, theology, leadership, they don't even know how to shepherd, but they know they're called. And so Mozambique has started to build a district center, and we are on the back end of that completion. And the district center is to be a place where these 1,500 uh, individuals can grow, can learn, um, can be shepherded, can be taught uh, by those students from Malawi. And so our district said, we're going to complete your district center, uh, your dining hall, and your dormitory, so you have a place to eat, you have a place to sleep, you have electricity, um, and you have food, uh, and, and you can learn. And so we've partnered with our district, and our goal was $80,000 for our district. There's about 60-some churches on our district. And our goal, personally, uh, for Wapak Naz, the, the little church on the court of Court and Benton Street, was $4,000. And uh, I came up with that, that number sitting there in the district center as, as my boss, the district superintendent, was sharing this. And, and I prayed. I was like, Lord, what, what can we do? How can we partner? And that was the number that, that my heart was landed on. And so um, these are the dormitories and the dining halls that are going to be completed. And, and I want to just say, you are awesome. You not only reached the goal, you exceeded the goal. Uh, you came together as a body of Christ and raised $8,605.61. Um, I'm humbled by that, first of all. I I'm humbled by that. 
and um, I don't know if you realize if you do the math. I'm not really good at math. I don't math very well. Um, I don't know. Numbers just fell out of my head after I graduated high school. Um, but that's over 10%. It's 10.7% of the entire goal of our district of $80,000. And uh, I'm humbled and I'm proud. And I want to say thank you. Um, thank you for going above and beyond the regular tithes that you give on a, on a weekly or biweekly or monthly basis. And, and I want to remind you of some scripture. Uh, one, it is definitely more blessed to give than receive. And beyond that, there's a scripture in, in Proverbs. It's really small up there. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person, a generous man, a generous teenager will prosper. He or she who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I, I want to remind us of, of, of that truth. And I prefer the message the message version of this because it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed those who help others are helped so folks um, you have have been a generous people and uh, I want to praise God for that because that, that is a reflection of his heart. Because our God is a generous God. And uh, it's not all too often that you hear pastors say thank you in terms of giving. We, we thank you for vacuuming and serving and doing all those other things. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for just asking the Lord, what can, can, can I do? And you did it. And so praise the Lord. I think you should celebrate that. We, it's one of our values here. We celebrate, and I celebrate you today. Um, I will have the privilege of sharing this with my, my boss, my district superintendent here soon, and uh, I'm just amazed. I don't know what the whole entire total of our district is. Hopefully, you put them over the top. That would be awesome. Not only that, uh, I want to challenge you a little bit further just a little bit further. It's a new year, yes, and I'm not a fan of New Year's resolutions. I don't do New Year's resolutions because we as believers in Christ should always be seeking to grow and deepen our life, whether it's our spiritual walk or how we interact with our relationships with people, how we do our job, how we go to school, how we play the game, whatever facet of life, those are areas that we should be asking the Lord to improve in our life. And so you have another challenge before you. It's raising the bar in life by consuming the word of life you and i are what we consume i don't know if you ever know if you ever known that we often think of that in terms of food you are what you eat but the fact is you are what you consume what you put in you whatever's true noble right lovely pure admirable if anything is excellent praiseworthy think on these things paul knows this because we are what we consume we're a generous people, and you just we just had that conversation. When we did the nativity, the Walpock nativity, you gave out about 50 or 60 Bibles to our community, to those that came in part of that, that nativity. 
because we firmly believe that the word of God is important in our life. You not only come in here on Sunday morning, but I hope you go home and throughout your week you're saturating in the word of God. You and I are challenged this month to raise the bar in consuming the word of life, in the word of God. And so here's our challenge. Uh, We're going to read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's in the New Testament, the four first, first four books of the New Testament. It's 89 chapters. You can do that three chapters a day. This is us together, growing together, saturating ourselves in the Scripture. Teenagers, kids, adults, senior citizens, even if you've read this Bible a thousand times, you will grow in that. The thousandth and first time. So I'd like for you to take up this challenge, to take up this bar, to raise it, raise it in your life. If you're not really good at reading, listen to it. Saturate yourself in it. And as you go to it each and every day, starting today, January 2nd, I was going to say August 2nd, I wish it was summer. Um, January 2nd, as you go into it, I would just ask that when you start to read the Word, it's not merely to inform you. The Word of God is not just to inform you, to make you smarter in terms of Scripture. No, it's to to transform your heart and your life. So, ask the Lord as you open the Scripture, as you go into Matthew, as you go into Mark, Luke, and John. Lord, not only inform me, but will you transform me? Will you speak into my spirit? And so, we're in this together. I'd ask that you raise that bar. And I'm going to bring this to you each and every week. If you fail tomorrow to pick it up and read it, it's okay. You can start again. That's where New Year's resolutions lose their luster. Because you fail one day and then you fail another day. Nope, just start again. Pick it up. Start again. So let's do this together. Let's saturate ourselves in the Word of God. And with that said, we are going to go to the Word of God. So will you open up the book of Matthew? Uh, We're going to start a series this month called Outsiders. The book of Matthew, chapter 15. We're going to go there here very, very shortly. Um, Matthew, chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. Thank you for indulging me for just a moment with that challenge. Um, Many of you know, some of you may not, that uh, most of my life, uh, I've, I've felt that I haven't belonged in the places that I was in in the groups of people that I I was in. Uh, I made a transition from uh, elementary to junior high, and I I moved to different school systems, and I was kind of felt like the lone wolf. And from then on, it just felt like I didn't belong to any group. And so when it came time for me to to look for a college, um, I only applied to one. Uh, And I got in. And the only reason that I wanted to go to college, well, there's a few reasons. First of all, I wanted to play soccer. I had to play soccer. I just loved the game. I had to play the game. Uh, Two, I wanted to go to a place where I didn't know anybody and no one knew me. I figured if I didn't belong anywhere, I could go to a place where no one knew me and I could figure it out. And then... I wanted to go as far away from my parents as possible so that they just couldn't show up at any given time they wanted, a.k.a. I wanted to party. I wanted to party. And so I went to this Southern Baptist College, and uh, 
in the first couple months, it was a massive transition for me. I was 17 and I turned 18 that month. And this was the first time I was on my own in a place that I really didn't know anybody. Um, but when you don't feel like you belong, partiers just bring you on in. Um, they, they really do. They'll just, they don't, they'll just bring you in, give you, give you a beer, and you are connected. But uh, when times get tough, they, they, don't, they don't bring you in. They're nowhere to be found. Um, that month, my niece uh, was born. And then the next month, my grandpap, who was my non-biological grandfather, the only uh, grandfather that I knew, passed away. So I had a lot of life transitions in just the first few months. And uh, I was searching for something that I didn't know I was searching for. Does that kind of make sense? You, you're looking for something and you're just not sure what you're looking for. Well, I, I heard about this group called FCA, uh, acronym for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was an athlete. I figured, hey, I, I, could, I could check it out and I can, maybe I could belong. I didn't know what it was about. I walked in um, not knowing what to expect. And I distinctly remember that overwhelming feeling of loneliness and aloneness walking into that, that room, the top floor of the gray brick building on campus. I didn't know anybody, and they really didn't know me. I knew some of the soccer players, but see, again, they weren't part of the crowd that I ran with. I felt like an outsider. And uh, I walked out of those doors still feeling like an outsider because no one talked to me. No one did. Now, you might be thinking, well, this really applies to church and all that stuff. It's much bigger than church, folks. It's the kingdom of God that we're talking about here. This was the only church that I was going to at that moment. It was a parachurch run by college students. It was the closest church on campus. Everything else off campus was weird looking, and it was really, really hard to even step into those places. This was the only church that an outsider could come in to experience the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but you might actually have felt like an outsider to the kingdom of God. And that those on the inside were your only glimpse to what the kingdom of God looked like. Thankfully, um, a year later, I didn't go back. I didn't go back to FCA my freshman year. I studied, I partied, played soccer, and I missed some classes, particularly my Old Testament class, and I failed it. By the way, your pastor, your preacher, failed Old Testament. Congratulations. That's why I don't preach from it very often. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, but the next year came around. And it was the same month, that September, that I lost um, my mom's best friend, who somewhat was my second mother. Remember that searching for what you, you're not sure what you're searching for? She was the lady that taught me how to tie my shoes. It hit me pretty hard. And so at that moment, I actually knew what I was searching for. 
I was searching for God. I was searching for him. Thankfully, I went back to that FCA a few more times. And uh, I came to the Lord that November. And FCA actually began to play an important part in my life. I became an insider, not to FCA, an insider to the kingdom of God. For the longest time, I felt outside of him and that I didn't belong to him either. Today, we begin this series about outsiders because at one point or another, you have felt like or have been an outsider. Outsider in any people's group, any population, but I really dare I say that many of us have felt like an outsider to God and an outsider to the kingdom of God. I'd like for us to learn from the outsiders and how Jesus and how God and how scripture deals with the outsider. More often than not, those that are feel like and know that they're insiders, they might actually be living like outsiders and those that are outsiders are more insiders than you ever imagined. So let's open that scripture to Matthew chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse uh, 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and uh, Sidon. A Canaanite woman from, the, from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. I just want to pause for a moment. I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes when I come across Scripture, I read it and I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, 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 I leave it and I'm just scratching my head. This is one of those stories. Because everything that I think Jesus is, he kind of does the opposite. And it rubs me a little raw. And this is one of those moments. Jesus didn't answer her. And then it just becomes even more uncomfortable. So let's embrace the awkward and step into the uncomfortableness of this story. Because it gets really wild. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. More uncomfortable. Wait for it. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, stopped him in his tracks. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yikes. Wow. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Lord Jesus, we ask that the scriptures really do unpack us and they speak deep into our soul and to our DNA and they do a work that only you can do. May we respond to what it is that you say and you teach today. Whether I am clear or fumble matters not. It's your spirit that speaks. And so I ask that you speak and we listen. It's in your name that we ask, Jesus. Amen. This story, um, it begins, starts with being an outsider. Jesus himself and his disciples left the region of Galilee, where they were comfortable, where people who were like them, they were comfortable with that. Most of us kind of gravitate towards groups where we're comfortable with. Galilee, Capernaum, his ground zero, where he started his ministry and moved out from there, these were his people. They were Jewish people. They were like him. They understood him. They had the same worldview, the same perspective on life. And Jesus was constantly bombarded by his own people, wanting him to heal them, heal their diseases, cure them, cast demons out, and in fact, Many of the religious elite were coming to test and try him to trap him. At this point, Jesus was wanting to withdraw from the region, withdraw from the people who were like him. And so he moved outside of Galilee. He, it's like an Ohio State fan going to Michigan and a Michigan fan going to Ohio, right? I know, I know. It's still a little fresh, I'm sorry, for all of us fans, right? Um, we're in the same boat. So he goes outside the borders and moves into an area of vicinity that is primarily Greek. Jesus becomes an outsider. And he goes into this vicinity and the first, he goes in and Mark tells us very clearly Mark tells us that he wanted to go to a place where he wasn't found. Um, Jesus left the place, Bethsaida, in, Ga in Galilee, and went to the vicinity of Tyre, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it. He wanted reprieve, and he wanted to teach his disciples. He wanted some one-on-one, one-on-twelve time. But this woman found out about him. We learn a little bit about this woman Mark or Matthew says in fact as soon as she heard about him a Canaanite woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet the woman was a Greek and born in Syrian Phoenicia this woman that comes to Jesus in her own region herself is an outsider from the Jewish perspective she's an outsider because one we understand that she's a Canaanite woman. This reflects of history with the Jewish people of discord and embattlement. In fact, when the Jews, the Israelite people started to move into Palestine, the Canaanite people were the ones that they embattled, that they, they, they conquered. But not only that, she was a Syrian Phoenician. She was more than likely a native of Phoenicia 
and she was Greek. Her mindset, her religion was completely different than that of Jesus and those 12 disciples that were connecting with her. She was of polytheistic. She was a pagan. And so we have two outsiders, Jesus and this woman. And she's begging Jesus, Lord, help me. My daughter is possessed. She's suffering. Now, when you read the Gospels, which we will be doing this month of January, you will find that Jesus often deals with the religious elite, the first century churchgoer. He deals with them first with the truth, the hard truth. And almost everybody else, he starts with empathy. He starts with empathizing with that individual, the leper, the paralytic, the adulterous woman, the Samaritan woman, Zacchaeus, the list goes on and on and on and on. He starts with empathy. But it's really interesting here. Jesus doesn't answer a word. What's going on here? This is where I start scratching my set, my head. This is a moment when I read this story and I, I just don't understand what Jesus is doing here. You ever have those moments? You don't understand what God is doing in the moment. You're trying to press into him. You're trying to, Lord, I need your help. But he seems to not answer you. And it's as if on cue, his disciples kind of pick up what Jesus is doing. In other words, they're annoyed. They're annoyed by this woman crying out to Jesus. They're annoyed by this outsider who has no claim whatsoever to the Messiah. And they say, Jesus, Jesus, send her away. Send her away. Just give her what she wants. Send her away. We're done dealing with her. And as if you would think, when she says, Lord, help me. Have you ever been in those moments where you are highly desperate? You were just distressed and distraught. And all those theological and philosophical prayers that you pray, those prayers of eloquence that maybe you hear on Sunday, they just kind of go out the window. And you're just, Lord, help me. You ever have those moments? Then you really can't find or muster the words. You just... You pray from your gut. You pray from the depth of your soul, from your desperation, that it's only you and only you that can do what you can do, so please do it. Those prayers are actually, the scriptures are filled with those prayers. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy on me. Folks, for the many years that I've been a part of the church since 1999, well, 1997, I've heard a lot of people be judged by the fact that they cannot pray or they pray very eloquently and that they are people of faith, strong faith, because they can quote scripture and say all these things. 
the measure of your faith is not the words that you speak in your prayer. The measure of someone else's faith is not the words that they speak in the prayer. It's the trust and the deep faith that those prayers are prayed with which measure our faith. So please don't measure yourself by whether you think you can pray or not pray. I just challenge you to pray. Encourage you to pray. Just muster that prayer, Lord, help me. But see, in this moment, as a reader of the scripture who understands Jesus is compassionate and understands that God is loving, that he's holy, I would think in this moment by her simple but desperate prayer full of faith that Jesus would respond and heal her daughter immediately. But he doesn't. And I'm left confused, baffled and confounded. Because Jesus says something that just seems to be out from left field. First, he says, and I'm forgetting the text, so again, let me go back to the scripture. First, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He reminds her, she's an outsider. I think sometimes we don't need to be reminded that we're outsiders. He reminds her that she has no claim to the promises that are given to the Israelites. She has no claim to the inheritance of Abraham. Everything that's from Genesis to Malachi that's in our Bibles, she has no claim to because she is not one of God's chosen people. And Jesus reminds her, my first objective is the lost sheep of Israel because they are sheep without a shepherd. Even in the Christmas story that we we celebrated, that God came to humanity, it says, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This doesn't add up with the rest of what I know about Jesus, right? He died for all of humanity. He took the cross, the sacrifice for all of us. This doesn't line up with that. And I'm left going, what, Lord? This doesn't make any sense. And then, to add insult to injury, let me kick you while you're down. He says this line. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Does Jesus really insult this woman? Does he call her a dog? Folks, we got to go under the surface sometimes. Because what is, seems like very unkind words from Jesus, very cruel words, when you begin to get under the surface, things start to make sense just a little bit. In fact, most of the Jews, if not all, called anyone else that weren't Jewish dogs. Why? Because they were Gentiles. And those 
Jews believed that they, they served the one true God, which they did, Yahweh. And no one else could lay claim to him. Everyone else was a pagan who were impure and unclean and undeserving and unworthy and that God turned his eyes from them. They were dogs. Jesus was bringing merely to surface what they both understood that everyone else thought. The Jews believed that they were insiders to God and his kingdom, that they were the ones that had the privilege. And Jesus was bringing this to surface. And the language here, he calls her dog, but it really means little puppy who belongs to the household. Now, my in-laws, their dog, Laddie, whom I thought was a, a girl, was a boy. Why would you name a girl lad, or a guy Laddie? But I didn't know. Anyhow, that dog is a vacuum. You ever see one of those Roombas? They just go all throughout the, the area picking up whatever. This dog eats anything. And he'll just sit at your feet, waiting for you to drop something. doesn't matter what it is. Even if it's not food, an inanimate object, he'll lick it and see if he can eat it. Dogs will eat anything from your table, won't they? They, they belong to the household. There's this little nuance that Jesus has here. He actually is saying... She belongs to the household. This isn't an insult by any means. What those who call Gentiles dogs, that's an insult. Here Jesus brings to surface and says, you're an outsider. I first came for the lost sheep. It's not right to take what is for them and give to you. This woman this outsider turns the tables and understands the nuance in this moment. It's really hard for us in 21st century to get this. But she turns the tables. She doesn't trap him in his words. His words are an open door for her. A very open door. She says, yes, Lord. I acknowledge everything in this moment. I understand that I'm a Gentile. I understand that the Jews call me a dog. I understand I have no link to what they are promised. I cannot inherit anything because I have no lineage, no ancestral line, no bloodline. It doesn't belong to me. But then she says, but even the dogs, even the dogs eat the crumbs from their, that fall from their master's table. Meaning... The promises and the grace given to them, they can overflow to us. And they will not be any worse off because you have healed my daughter. Oh. And Jesus replies, Woman, you have great faith. He doesn't say this very often. In fact, 
to his own 12? How many times does he say, you of little faith, condemning, chastising, saying, you need to grow up here. But this outsider who has somehow heard about this Messiah has greater faith than anything that Jesus has seen even in his own people. Those very people that reject him. I think it's important to understand. We haven't read it, but if you flip in that Matthew chapter 15, this incident, this story happens right after a conversation that Jesus has with his own people who reject him. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to Jesus and they, they ask him, why don't your disciples follow the tradition and wash their hands before they eat? And Jesus says, why do you nullify the commands of God to follow your tradition? He offends the insider. He offends the one that believes that they're the insider, that they, that they have an inside track to God, an inside track to the kingdom, because he says, listen, you hypocrites. It's not what man puts in his mouth that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth from his heart that makes them unclean. Somebody's supposed to wake up. I think all of us. <laughs> it's the insider that Jesus says, hey, you might think you're an insider, but you're living more like an outsider to the kingdom of God because your rules and your regulations that you follow don't make you an insider. Folks, the lesson for us is what you do doesn't make you an insider to the kingdom of God. It doesn't make you an insider to God. It's what's on the inside of your heart that gives you the inside track to God. It's what he's done on the inside of your heart. I think all too often we think, I can check the box and do all the good things. And that gives me the inside track to the kingdom. It gives me the inside track to God. It means I'm right with him. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not your own, that you may not boast. Right? by grace it's by faith it's what god does on the inside of you jesus has this conversation then leaves his area and goes to the vicinity of tyre and sidon where he has this conversation with his woman he's outside of the inside and those that think they're on the inside look at jesus as an outsider and in fact they crucify him as an outsider they crucify him outside the city. Jesus understands where this woman is and who she is. And quite frankly, there are many of us who feel like the outsider, who believe that we're the outsider, who are more inside than we ever thought we were. Woman of great faith.
Folks, the measure of your faith is your trust, your persistency with the Lord. This woman never gave up. She continued to press in. Even though she believed that she was an outsider, she pressed in. There's something about the kingdom of God. There's something about his grace that overflows onto you. I challenge you to remember that all of us who are with God were once outside of God. Paul reminds us, you were once in darkness. And now you're in the light. Let us not forget while we're in the light what darkness we had. What darkness we came from. Because if I didn't meet Jesus in that bathroom on that college campus, I was moving in a direction that was full of darkness. Because when you remember the darkness from which you came, the weight of God's grace is so much more, right? And the way we interact with those who believe that they're outside of the kingdom of God, who have no understanding of God, who feels like they're unworthy of God, we interact with them way differently, don't we? Because we know from where we came. This woman of faith, of great faith, she knew she was unworthy and undeserving. She knew it. Because culture said it, society said it, the worldview said it, and she even knew it by her own sin. Isn't that the way with not only believers who follow Jesus, but also non-believers? That we stand on that common ground? That sometimes we just feel unworthy to even approach God? Because we're aware of our sin, we're aware of our mistakes, we're aware of the darkness, we're aware of the past, we're aware of the choices that we recently made that were against God, that were out of alignment. Folks, unworthiness, undeservingness often keeps us from pushing in and praying, doesn't it? But what our unworthiness should do make us cling ever so much more to Christ. There were many times in my life that I felt unworthy to approach the Lord, even as a believer because some of the choices that I made that were just idiotic. And I was silent with God for the longest time. But true faith clings to him and says, though I am unworthy, I come to you with confidence because of what you've done and not what I've done. So I encourage you, remember from where you came. And cling to him in your faith. I'd like to close this out from Ephesians 
the scripture's on the, the screen and it's from the message. I think it clears this whole, this whole awkward conversation with Jesus and this woman. It's Ephesians chapter 2. You can go to it in your Bible, but I'd like to read it from here and from the message. This is Paul writing to those individuals in Ephesus, which is a pagan city, a non-Jewish city, to a church in a non-Jewish city, to a people who were like this woman was, an outsider, whose worldview was completely different, whose lifestyle was completely opposed. And they have come to belief in Jesus. And this is what Paul says to them and to us and to you. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you, outsiders to God's ways, had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. That was me. Hadn't the fairest idea of Christ. That was me. Was that you? You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, just like that woman. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep uh, each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that hindered hindered it more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace. And that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. Praise the Lord. He treated us as equals, so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You, no longer, you are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. Praise God. You belong here with as much right to the same name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. And what he is building, he used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite 
at home. The kingdom of God. Christ died for all. And if you feel like an outsider to the kingdom, he's calling you to become an insider. Because there's something much greater with your life than you've allowed. And that can only be received through Christ and the cross, his crucifixion, and his death and his resurrection. Outsiders and insiders now being inside with God, being one with God, being one with each other. One heart, one baptism, one faith, one God. So I ask you, are you outside the kingdom? Do you feel like an outsider to God? Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who was dubbed the outsider, was the true insider is calling you in. He's calling you in. And he's calling you to greater, to more, to heaven, to eternal life. He's calling you in. Do you think you're an insider? Do you think you have the inside track? You might want to double check that. You might want to check your heart. Remember from where you came, from whom you came, and how you got here. The only reason we're an insider is because of grace. Because of grace. It's the only reason we're insiders. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that it's your spirit that preaches and not me. And I thank you that you move in ways that are not human, that are supernatural, that are mystic, that are of the spirit and of God, not of the world. I thank you that you break down walls. Lord, help us come to the realization that there aren't necessarily insiders and outsiders because we're all human we all bear the image of God that means we're all on the same playing ground we're all sinners in need of saving grace in need of the cross in need of Christ in need of life and renewal and the only way that we carry the, the, the term Christian is because we are sinners saved by grace through faith We are no better. We are no more. And we have been graced to give grace. I thank you, Jesus, for that. I thank you. I thank you that we're one with you and that we're one in heart and mind and spirit and baptism, one in faith, one in love. I give you glory for that. Lord, if there is someone that feels like they are outside of the kingdom of God outside of your reach remind them that no one is outside the reach of your love and of your hand no one in fact you love the world in the spirit of prayer if you have felt like you've been an outsider to God unworthy, undeserving to even approach him, 
this is that moment that God is saying, you have an open door. And that he wants you to come inside. Actually, he's wanting you to have him inside of you. He's calling you to learn his ways. He's calling you to learn from him. You belong with him. So I'm asking you and I'm challenging you to to cross that line of faith. To receive his grace. So I'd ask that you pray along with me. It's not a magical prayer, but it is mystical. And it's heartfelt. It's very, very simple. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. It's the beginning of the conversation for the rest of your life. Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. Jesus, you gave yours on the cross. I give you mine right now. Jesus, you rose from the dead. I want your life, your resurrection life in me. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. If you've prayed that prayer, you've just crossed that line of faith and you've entered into relationship with a living God. There's a lot more work and conversation to be had with him. But I I just ask that in this moment that you acknowledge publicly. Embrace that awkwardness and acknowledge publicly that you have given Christ your life and you have received his just by raising your hand. Hmm. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Will you tell him thank you? Sandy, we're, we're going to end this service still in a spirit of prayer and worship. And we're going to sing a familiar song. And it's actually familiar not only in the church, but outside. Outside the church. It's amazing grace. And I'd ask that you stand and you worship the Lord and you thank Him as you we sing this song. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future He has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.